You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The US stock market's bull run is almost 11 years old. Early March will mark the 11th anniversary of the longest expansion of US stock prices in the history of the stock market, the US stock market, that is. With me now is Lee Adler from the Wall Street Examiner. Actually, Lee, that doesn't do you justice. Just give us your full title and all your products, please, before we get into the discussion about this extraordinary market. Yeah, hi, Lindsay. Well, uh, I've been publishing the Wall Street Examiner for uh, almost 20 years now. I started its predecessor in October of 2000. And in recent years, I split off my proprietary work into a separate website called liquiditytrader.com. And that's where uh, your listeners can find my proprietary research. Yeah, I was just thinking, do you recall years ago when I told you that the conventional measuring objective of the latest breakout on the S&P was 3,300? I was looking through at some old notebooks the other day, and I've got this thing, it says 3,300. And I think I put underneath something disparaging like, yeah, right, or something like that. But I remember <laughs> 3,300 is imprinted in my brain. And as I speak, as we speak now, the S&P futures are 3,285. They've been very close to 3,300. Quite extraordinary. That was your target. Does that mean that that's the cap? That's the peak if it gets there? Or does it just mean it pauses there and off it goes again? Uh, it's probably not the peak. You know, this was not rocket science. Edwards and McGee, who were the sort of the forefathers of conventional technical analysis, wrote the the great textbook, the first one back in the 1930s, and then it was updated with a new revision every few years. They, They talked about this way of measuring price objectives on various market averages and stock prices. So, so this is sort of old stuff. It, it doesn't require any higher math or anything like that. And I just looked at the charts and saw that the breakout projected all the way to 3,300. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to get there, but it is a target. And here we are. And I'm probably more surprised than you are, although for the last couple of years since the Fed has reinvented the game, uh, Nothing surprises me, but yeah, here we are. And th- does this mean it's we've finally gotten to the top? No, because the next breakout would project even higher. And as a matter of fact, I was looking at some things a couple days ago that project to 4,500 now. Are we going to get there? Possible, sure. It's interesting because the name of one of your businesses is Liquidity Trader. And when I see these People coming up with excuses as to why the market went up uh, is because, well, there's trade optimism or Brexit is out the way or whatever yeah, else they concoct. It's an absolute load of rubbish. It's all to do with liquidity. It's all to do with the Fed. It's all to do with easy money. It's all to do with flooding the system. Is it not? Yeah. Uh, you know, the basic mechanics of the way the Fed injects money into the system demand that the first thing that happens is that financial asset prices go up. It's not a nebulous process at all. It's not this thing that uh, the pundits talk about, oh, the Fed is pumping this money into the system and it finds its way into the market. You know, mm-hmm. No, it's not that at all. It goes into the market first because the, um, the mechanism of monetary policy is open market operations. And open market operations, whether temporary, T-O-M-O, TOMO, or permanent, permanent open market operations, POMO, the, the, the mechanism for that is that the Fed conducts trades, securities trades, with the primary dealers. 
So when the Fed is buying $60 billion a month in Treasury bills and $20 billion a month in Treasury coupons from the primary dealers, they are literally creating money and injecting that money or paying for those securities from the primary dealers by making a deposit in the dealers' trading accounts or bank accounts at the Fed. So they're, the, the Fed is imagining this money. It's created. It goes right to the dealer in, in return for the dealer selling these securities to the Fed. So the dealers are getting cashed out to the tune of $100 billion a month, give or take. And when, the, when primary dealers have $100 billion a month in cash coming in, they conduct business with it. They buy securities. They buy inventory. That's their stock and trade securities, stocks, bonds, futures, whatever. They mark them up. And they go on CNBC and they market their securities inventories to the public, their institutional public, uh, for the most part. But it's a it's a very direct mechanism. So when the Fed is putting money into the system like this, the first place it goes normally is into the stock market. It's not a Ponzi scheme, of course, but it's got a whiff of scandal about it, if what you say is true. I don't think it's scandalous at all. It's morally wrong to keep interest rates at zero and to rob savers of their of their savings by not giving them a decent return for uh, no risk investing i mean that's not the way it should be it's wrong but this is the way the system works the fed and the well the bank of japan invented this decades ago and then the fed in 2008 2009 recognized that they could flood the system with endless liquidity and and keep this thing going Odd infinitum, you know, until it doesn't work anymore. And we, we haven't reached that point yet. You know, they tested the idea that they could stop. And that test lasted from October 2017 until December of 2018. And then they realized that they could not pull money out of the system without having catastrophic effects. So a few months later, they went right back to the old way. And they said, well, this isn't QE, but of course it is. It's exactly the same thing. And they so I call it, you know, since they don't want to call it QE, I call it not QE. But in fact, it is QE. And this is what they do. And they continue to inflate prices and scandalous. It's like, who cares? It's what they're doing. You got to get on their side and play the game with them. OK, but it's like musical chairs. <clears throat> At some stage, the music is going to stop. But we've been saying that for years. I mean, there have been a right. couple of occasions. I would say that you are 73 percent right. The number of years that I've known you, Lee, there's been an occasion. It's almost as though you felt guilty by being right and said, well, no, I now think that we're going to get the, the sell off. And the sell off happened for two minutes. And then for, right. the, for the next year, it went up. I, I never really believed that you believed it was it was going to go down you is almost an apologetic bear call but at some stage at some stage the music has got to stop the geopolitics get out of here that's not going to happen it's going irrelevant. to be irrelevant completely irrelevant it's got to be a world war a nuclear proliferation build-up nuclear war bullish bullish <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the central banks will just print more money. If there's any if any people around to take right. advantage of, of the, that money. But you know what I mean. It's got to be something cataclysmic, something catastrophic, whether it be monetary, whether it be fiscal, whether it be geopolitical in the form of a, a proper war. Or just I earnings totally start to slow down. I disagree with you on that. I disagree with you. Well, there's also got to be an earnings recession, but there's no sign of that either because of these tech Absolutely stocks. not. It's, it's not. I don't believe it's any of that. But I, what I believe is irrelevant anyway. But, uh, you know, my theory, what I'm going on here is what I'm looking for to change the, the course of this is the, the fact that the, the primary dealers who are basically the casinos that own the system um, are over leveraged 
and they're over leveraged in their bond portfolios and most of their bond holdings are U.S. treasuries. And the treasury market has not been cooperating with the Fed. It's, it's been stable, but prices, bond prices have not been rising. And the dealers have accumulated a hell of a lot of bonds in the last couple of years at higher prices. So they're, they're really sitting on the razor's edge here in terms of the leverage that they hold against that uh, bond position. And falling bond prices, which is the other side of the coin of rising yields, would be catastrophic for them. It would force them to deleverage. And whether there will be a forced deleveraging or a willful deleveraging on their part where they just make the decision that they're going to cut back on their risk, that would be the thing that could turn the tide. The question is how quickly the Fed would react. And there's no question in my mind they probably have a contingency plan if bond yields rise and, and bond prices fall and the dealers get in trouble. They're, they're prepared for that. They're probably prepared to print twice as much money. But at that point, the question becomes whether, you know, confidence is blown up. And once the delever deleveraging starts, and deleveraging is just selling, liquidating your portfolio, once that starts, does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? And would the Fed be pushing on a string, so to speak, where no matter how much they printed, the dealers and, and other players in the market would just use the cash to pay off debt? So that would be the death spiral and the end of this long-term bull run, I think, but we're not there yet. And uh, it's useless to speculate on it and anticipate it. It hasn't happened. And tech, in, in terms of technical analysis, whenever there is a sea change, it doesn't come without warning. There's always technical warning. There's always signs in the market that some of these guys are starting to tiptoe out the back door and you better be ready to unload. And we're not there yet. I don't see the signs yet. You don't see any signs of anybody tiptoeing? Not really. I mean, look, we're at all-time highs on, on the stock market, and uh, momentum, the long-term momentum indicators are doing just fine. You know, says, bam, thank you, ma'am. Everything seems to be going up in sync. So I'm, I'm not a believer in the idea that these things come out of the blue and are unpredictable. I think that we will, just like in the breaks that we had last year, there was some technical warning, and I became bearish at the time, as you noted. But like you said, they lasted two minutes. Because once the sell-offs got rolling, the authorities, the, the policymakers, you know, they swung into action immediately to put a stop to it. So the question becomes this time whether the, the next emergency measure they take will be enough to reverse the psychology again. So what you've got here is a U.S. Federal Reserve and other central banks in cahoots with them are ready to step in at the slightest hint that the market may be vulnerable. They step in at the same time you've got these algorithms that perpetuate the momentum to the upside because that's what they're told to do. That's what the program says. You said you've got to buy. If it comes down to this level, you've got to buy and you've got to keep on buying and keep on buying. So you've got this Goldilocks. Actually, it's worse than Goldilocks. It's Platinum Locks cocktail of circumstances and everything's fine. It's boring for me as a broadcaster. I'm bored. Yeah, it is. It's like, what are you going to talk about? It's the same old, same old, but you have to be vigilant. You have to be vigilant. You know, they're going to they'll have these little sell-offs. They'll come along every once in a while, and the buy-the-dip conditioning will become so ingrained that eventually we will have a dip that leads to something bigger, and nobody will be prepared for it, and it gets out of control. But I, I believe in technical analysis. I believe that the signs will be there, uh, that we will see momentum loss and some breaks of support. And 
we're not going to get the exact top. We may, you know, be holding on as the thing rolls over a little bit. But, you know, my position has been, you know, you hold on to these stocks. I don't want to chase them up here. I do think we're going to get some kind of a pullback from 3,300. And then we'll see whether we want to get long again by some calls on the S&P or something like that. But, you know, for now, uh, there really is just nothing different to me that would suggest that this thing is over. Now, that being said, now that I've said that, probably as soon as this podcast is over, the market will probably crack. But, you know, it, it, it would just be the first warning shot across the bow, in my opinion. You know, there are people that started on a desk 10, 11 years ago at an investment bank or a brokerage house or whatever it is, some high-flying financial services institution in New York or London or Frankfurt, wherever it is, and they've never seen a bear market. And they're richer and better looking than we are and younger than we are. And they've never known anything else. (laughs) I just hope that they know how to behave when it does start to happen. Well, you know, behavior is dictated by money. And, uh, you know, the market doesn't anticipate, it doesn't discount, doesn't do any of that stuff. It floats higher on a sea of liquidity, and that liquidity is being aggressively injected by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is pumping $100 billion a month into the system. I mean, it's pretty simple to me. As long as that's going on, the odds of a major sell-off are very, very low. Will the Fed change course at some point? (laughs) Again, I can't anticipate that. We have to wait for signs of the actual policy change and wait for signs that it's showing up in the technical analysis on the charts. It's not rocket science. Just watch and wait. Okay. You called 3,300 years ago. I know when we did our first documentary together, in uh, we met in Central Park. It wasn't that far back, but it must have been four or five years ago that you wrote 2013. Down. Okay, there we go. Exactly. Time so flies that's when you're having fun, right? Six seven, six, seven years ago, you wrote down yeah. 3,300, and that was your long, super long-term projection, and I scoffed at that uh, number. But here we are, 15 points away from it or so. Quite extraordinary. Lee, just reiterate how we get hold of you, please, how people follow your work okay you can find my proprietary work at liquiditytrader.com and uh, i write a free article every once a week along with publishing some other writers that i like at wallstreetexaminer.com lee edler thank you very much for your analysis the views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of lindsay williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.